Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse and so on and etc. This week, John and I will discuss Of Gods and Men, one of those books that tried to come at the king and missed sometime around 1991, definitely in Wisconsin. It's System Mastery. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff. I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, John. John, you're wonderful. I love you. Aww. Yeah. Aww. Plus, you got a riff shirt on. I mean, come on. That's rad. I don't, actually. Oh, that's not a riff shirt? I can't quite tell from here. No, it's a uh, an actual 40K tournament shirt. Oh, geez. You were in a 40K tournament? and you got No. A, no. Wait. Hang on. You used to work at a nerd store. Yes, indeed. Okay. That's Yep. So you just have a spare shirt left over, and that's how you get it. Yeah. I that's... think this was from the Broadside Bash. Oh, very good. Man, I remember hating those tournaments. Oh, I remember hating everyone who played 40K, especially I really, myself. I was I was not a good person for 40K as a game. Uh, or at all. Or Yeah, I'm also just not a good person. You, you, you got me there. <laughs> you got me. You got me. That's, that's definitely a fine joke at my expense. <laughs> After calling me wonderful, oh, man. I really could have used W today. <laughs> Yeah. I, I just, I needed that. And here we are. Yeah, that's right. You can get that W. And that W is a waffle. Oh, can I get a fucking waffle? Yeah, that's right. I'll oh. give you a waffle. Holy shit. Where are we getting a waffle? I don't know. Waffle House? Wherever a fine waffle is sold. I wish there was a, well, I don't really wish there was a waffle house anywhere near us. No, it would lower my property values. <laughs> uh, wait, is that a horrible thing to say? I mean, they're, they're not good places, are they? No, I've never been anywhere near one. I mean, they're basically just like, the off-brand version of Denny's. Oh, okay. So, I mean, there is a Denny's near my house, so as long as my property values can get that much lower anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still have all the, uh, the whenever I take a lift anywhere, home from anywhere, they always are like, oh my god, you live near a Krispy Kreme? You're so lucky. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, okay, all right, calm down. I wish I lived near just some random little donut shop. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've had that conversation a bunch of times, that the best donut possible is from a place that's called, like, Donut. Yeah. And not like in a artsy way where there's like a semicolon after that, you know, like and, and it's Michelin starred somehow. No, uh, no, this is this is the kind of place where it's just like, what is this? Oh, it's called like Miss K's Donut. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, hey, great. Can I have a donut? OK. They have the world's best donuts and then also 500 other things on the menu that no one has ever ordered. Oh, yeah, because it's still that menu that has like the little letters you have to put up there individually. Uh -huh. And you look at it and you're like. You have croissant sandwiches? I've never... How do you... What? <laughs> They're like, that's been on there since the 50s. No one's ever ordered it. But we still have them. They're in this display case right next to these boba teas that no one has ever tried. <laughs> mm, donuts. Oh, we also have ice cream sundaes? That's... You don't have ice... You don't even have a freezer here. What are you... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... that. But for some reason, the donuts... Oh. Unimpeachable. The best of donuts. John, we're talking today about of gods and men. Oh, well, which one are we going to start with, gods or men? Uh, I think, well, in this game, you play vaguely as sort of nascent gods, but, I mean, I'm talking extremely nascent, like the nascentist. <laughs> They're so nascent. It's like Fran Drescher, how nascent they, oh, wait, that's nasal. <laughs> uh, yeah, they... I mean, you're supposed to be playing as, like, nascent godlings, but this isn't, like, an exalted game where you get to play cool gods who kind of punch the sky and what have you. This is 
your gods in that you can use a special deck of cards that that have boring I mean, rule modifications printed on them. I'm going to go ahead and say the weird special power thing. I was like, oh, that's interesting at least. And so you go back there and flip through the cards and you're like, oh. Well, oh. Uh, I'll, I'll get into my main uh, issues with that once we reach that in the episode. That's fair enough. Uh, the thing, I I started this book out by flipping to page one because I, I just kind of want to see what year we were dealing with. Uh-huh. Because, uh, you know, obviously just from the cover and, and the general tone of the book, this is a heartbreaker. Uh-huh. Like this is, oh, we, oh, me and all my friends like D&D. I bet we could write one. And that'd save the community center. Oh boy! Or I don't know, whatever the the Wisconsin equivalent of a community center. The is. community cheese center. <laughs> I mean, there's people in this book with names so Wisconsiny that like I couldn't come up with them as jokes. <laughs> I mean, the book was written by a guy named like Jeffrey Conkle, which is pretty much up there. Uh, but but really, the art director being uh, a guy by the name of uh, Joseph Donka. <laughs> oh, Joseph Donka. I mean, that is. Also, there's a great dedication in here. I'm uh, pretty sure Joseph Donka played for the Bears. There's no way he didn't. <laughs> there's a dedication in here that says, To Shihan Sabutai Musashi, you have taught me many things about myself, and I can say with certainty that this work would have never been completed without those teachings. Your accomplishments, given the scope of your tragedies, exist as a testament to the power of human will. Wow. And that's about half of it, but I'm going to stop there. Wow. I was so interested in this, uh, what was his name again, uh, Shihan Sabutai Musashi, but I looked him up, and he is a one-armed Iaijutsu master uh, who was a black belt training instructor operating out of Fresno. Uh, he's still he's still kicking around. He's still teaching martial arts. Wow. Um, I mean, the book was written in '91, so it's not it's not that unusual. Uh, but this dude, but the book itself is very clearly a Wisconsin thing. It's got a Wisconsin mailing address and so on. So for uh, some period in this in in this dude's life, Jeffrey Conkle moved out to Fresno to learn the ways of the blade. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, that's well, important. Well, you were getting laid. <laughs> Either that or uh, Shihan Sabutai Musashi was in Wisconsin for a stretch. Oh, yeah. He was just there for a convention. Mm-hmm. So I just I just found all of that fascinating. I, it's a little tiny bit of research I did because I saw Shihan Sabutai Musashi and I was like, I was like, man, what? Is, is that like the uh, Musashi, like the famous two sword guy from Japan? Like, oh yeah, because that's that what you full, immediately go to. Is that his full name? Because that would be amazing if that was the, <laughs> this guy just dedicated his book to an ancient Japanese swordsman. Now, the first thing I did mm-hmm. when I opened this book is I looked at the table of contents and saw that there was one page in bold just called the most important rule. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I immediately flipped to page 207 in this fucking giant-ass nonsense book. I was like, all right. When I saw it, I went, all right, this has to be that rule zero. You're Mm -hmm. the final arbiter. Like, if you don't like the rules, don't use the rules, whatever. Oh, yeah. Or or it could be an early one, uh, uh, early attempt at one of those don't make the players uncomfortable things where it's like, hey, if anyone's having a bad time, draw a veil over the situation. Yeah, that's never happened in 1991. Dang, you never know. It could oh, be. I know. It could be the first example of it. <laughs> Instead, let me read you very quickly mm-hmm. the most important rule. You are the game master. You are the judge. Listen to you players when they challenge your interpretation of a situation, but never let them forget that your decisions are final. Now, there are a number of reasons for this rule. First, it is impossible to run a smooth game without someone to give the final word on all situations. Mm -hmm. Second, 
As the Game Master, you are likely to know a hell of a lot more about each situation than the players do. I mean, duh. The players do not always have to understand why you decide to handle one situation a certain way and another situation a different way. Good players will accept your decisions without too much hassle. Mm -hmm. In the event you're excited <laughs> when you try and date them again. <laughs> In the event that you are playing with one or more poor players, I have prepared something to make things a bit easier for you. And right there is a thing you can print out, which is a card that says. In all caps with exclamations at the end. And italicized. The Game Master is right. The Game Master is the final judge. When in doubt, listen to the Game Master. And you can just sort of, I don't know, put that in front of you or hand it to someone I when they start like, being a dick. Like tack it to the wall above your head and then tap it like a yeah. bus driver with that sign. Don't make me tap the sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but you know, that's, that's, well, that's how I knew this was going to be great. In the same way that like, when I open one of these books that we're going to review, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, written and edited and conceived and art done by it, it's all the same person, and I know yeah. this is a winner. Yeah, that's how you, it's a special feeling you get down inside when you know a book is a good one for us to do. And then the, the same, same way, name, yeah. I was like, oh, what's the most important rule? Fuck you, I'm the GM? Yes, great. Let's do this. This game is edited by three different people. And none of them did it. None of them did any editing. Uh... <laughs> Because, like, even when John was reading that little passage, he mentioned uh, your players, or was it, uh, you listen to you players. Sometimes you have to listen to you players. Yeah. That's every page. Oh, there's, no. There's whole paragraphs in this book where he maybe, or the author maybe got three or four words spelled correctly. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not great. There are points where he clearly got one space wrong and then just kept going with that for the rest of the paragraph without looking down again. <laughs> So you'd see things like ta individua wasi is suf igdasurfly. And you're like, what is that? I, oh, wait, if I move all these letters one to the right over the spaces, it starts to come together into a sentence. <laughs> uh, it's like it comes with a free puzzle. It's ridiculous to me that they would have three editors, and the ones like that are the most egregious. Because I'm like, oh, you... You have listened to you players and not your players. I can at least see someone maybe missing that well, yeah, in a three hundred page book. A spell check won't pick it up. But <laughs> with ones like we there for death do, and you're like, wait, what? What the hell? What the fuck up? Yeah, you just completely mashed up whatever sentence you were doing because you fucked up like a space bar, but you were too busy to look down. There's a section where <laughs> the the monster entry for the leprechaun. Uh, the person who designed the monster box for the leprechaun, like the stats and stuff, knew how to spell leprechaun. Uh, the person who was writing the, sto the uh, story about what leprechaun is did not and spelled it leprochon. Ah, leprochon. <laughs> like, like they're all just running around, like French lists of good and bad ideas. Ah, leprochon. <laughs> I will assemble a leprochon about this idea. <laughs> Should I rent an apartment? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, but it's like, did, 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 is this why you have three editors so they could just go two sections wrong next to each other? <sighs> I love it. Yeah. I love how bad this is. Because if it had been spelled incorrectly the whole way you might have been like oh i guess that's how it's spelled in this world that they're presenting mm -hmm. it's not a leprechaun it's a leprochon yeah i mean that happens enough they're they're word for kuatls in this book which are you know the flying snake creatures from like uh like mayan or aztec lore in this book are koodles yeah the koodles and they keep well i've had my koodle shots so i'm not <laughs> afraid of those well i don't even need to get a koodle shot john only girls have koodles <laughs> 
but but at least it's consistently koodles. As in, you know, when they did the research on it, they they came up, they came they, across. They just decided, fuck it, koodles, koodles, because kuaddle sounds that can't be right. T L, and then it ends. That you can't, that can't put an e on there. Koodles, koodles. <laughs> As if that's like a local Wisconsin cheese delicacy, <laughs> like a plate of koodles. Oh man, you one hundred percent better believe that is somewhere. <laughs> if I can't go into a restaurant somewhere in Wisconsin and be like. Can I get a piping hot plate of koodles? And they're like, oh, yeah. Hot dish, side of koodles. <laughs> yeah, I'd like ground beef, tater tots, onions, uh, and mushroom soup all in a pan. And then on the side, koodles. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the spelling in the book is uh, is bad. It's, it's very it's, bad. It's, it's bad. <laughs> just, bring, just putting it down there. Yeah. I um, mean, we can't really say every passage, but just no, not good. Constantly, enough that it's really noticeable. Uh, so let's talk about the basic story of the world. Uh, long ago, there were a bunch of gods and kingdoms and stuff, and then something happened, and the gods mostly left. And, like, the elves and the dwarves and stuff kind of were around. And- <laughs> do, you, do you want me to take over? Please. No. <laughs> I feel like I'm being pretty succinct about this. No, you're not. I'm not? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, then, please. I, I mean, there's like the great, was the great liberation or something? That- well, basically, it was, there were gods, and the gods were all benevolent. Yes. Like, they were all trying to lead humanity mm-hmm. towards, like, a bright future. Yeah, and Elfanity and, and- dwar- Dwarfanity and Seanhanity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> uh, but there was- Basically, two kingdoms that existed, and one of them decided, fuck it, I'm going to war, not only with the other kingdom, but with the gods themselves. Yes. So there was a big war, and the gods, no one really knows. They either died or went, hey, you're a dick, and left. Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) humans turned to summoning demons, which enslaved them. And then they, they lived in a demon empire for like 800 years. But part of being enslaved by demons was like enforced passivity about it, like... Like, once you're in, under demon control, you kind of forget how great it is to not be under demon control, so you're just like, eh. Well, yeah, because they were like, look, we've had it so that it's generations of people have been under demon control, so at this point, no one really remembers what it's like to be free. Which I love that they wrote that in and then couldn't figure out what to do with it, and then they had to write in a solution where the, the animals of the forest rose up. <sighs> yeah, it's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, and then, uh, I guess... Nature decided, fuck these guys, and kicked them out. Literally, the the passage said, uh, unicorns and other such absurd animals rose up from the from the wilderness to come up and come out and help. Yeah, as, like, unicorns aren't absurd. Well, come on, don't if be, they exist in your fucking book, then they're not absurd. Yeah, that's the kind of a weird choice. But sure, why not? I mean, that is part of the weird thing. One of the things about this book that's super weird is the authorial kind of structure. Uh, where it, it slips easily between third, second, and first person, just sort of paragraph to paragraph. Yeah, there's there's not really a good, you know, overarching structure to yeah. this book, I would say. You'll, you'll see a lot of it that's just sort of in passive third, where it's just like play, uh, players will want to purchase armor for their characters uh, for, for pages on end, and then all of a sudden there'll be a sentence like, I only included the types of armor that I thought were most reasonable for this manner of campaign. And I'm like, wait, who are you? Who's this? Also, why do you need to let us know that? Yeah, a lot of the time it's like all of a sudden he's like, hey, these guys probably are wondering what my, the author, specific opinion is in this situation, even though it's really obvious what it is because I wrote it in the fucking book. Yeah, it's it's a very weird choice. Yeah. 
the uh i want to bring something up very quickly as well uh, please do I'm, I'm this is gonna be a loose one because the book's pretty much boring after this it's just oh, yeah. D ish uh anyway after the gods and all that and, yeah, yeah uh they get liberated by the forest and then they split up into a lot of kingdoms and that's what you get to choose from but i want to point out the back of this book very very quickly is ridiculous art like oh yeah, actual, it starts getting crazier and crazier throughout the throughout the book. No, the literal back cover of the book is like fantasy art where they photoshopped their faces onto the people. It it is very clearly the writers and people that worked on this book were like, I want to commission a painting where I'm a wizard and that guy's a fighter. Oh wow! Now that I'm looking at the back of the book, you are not wrong. Oh yeah, one of them's faces. I mean, it's clearly like they took a, a, a finished piece of fantasy art and photoshopped a bunch of Wisconsinians on there. Yes, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, the book, the, the back cover of this thing is like forty percent mustache by weight. Yeah, no, you look at the back and you're like, oh, oh no, you guys, you didn't. <laughs> Who put so many police cruising cars? guys or police guys into police cruising guys <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to cruise for police here. i was trying to say like the type of policeman who just hangs out in a car all day but i feel like that might actually just be a highway patrolman or something maybe as but police to cruiser guy i don't know where i'm going with this all i'm saying is that this is a lot of cop stash for the middle ages yeah it's uh it's real good and especially you can tell a lot of green bay fans on the back of this book well you can tell it was like either put in through reference pictures or photoshopped in because you'll have characters that are in certain positions and then the face is just like off in a- another direction looking towards the book yeah no it's you're totally right like one one dude's face starts very clearly on his neck yeah it's real bad also one guy i don't know if he's the author or just another one of these donka guys or whatever but <laughs> one of these donkas he's got the face of zap browsdower is this Donka Talk? I think this might be an episode of Donka Talk. Black in here, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, anyway, this is Donka Talk, where we uh, discuss amazing Wisconsinian names. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Joseph Donka, he's a real good man there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, makes a great hot dish. And, of course, he uh, played for the Green Bay Packers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Go <laughs> Packers! Just everyone in Wisconsin at one point or another has played for Green Bay. I played for Green Bay once. <laughs> it was an exhibition game. <laughs> I'm trying the voice. Just try it. Out. Just give it a give, give a little whistle. Give it a little. Mm, mm. Ah. What's the best thing, sir? Wis- sir, Wisconsin, sir. Here on Donka Talk, would you be willing to tell me what the best thing Wisconsin's got is? Oh, it's the cheese. It's the che- okay. Uh, is there is it particular like anything? Is it the curds or is it just the cheese in general? Oh, it's it's the curds. Those curd cheeses that squeak when you eat them are are particular. You thing. put them in your mouth and they go. Weep. Yeah, it's like they're crying. Weep. It's like they they they're weeping. They're weeping for their for their oh, life. Oh no, they're so excited. They could have. They, they love being in your mouth. They could. They could have been cheese. They're just like me. <laughs> they love being in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've learned a surprising amount about you today, uh, co-host, whose name I don't know. Uh, we'll tune in next time for Donka Talk when we'll be talking about the song Donka Shane, <laughs> which is not spelled the same or related in any way. Yup. Thanks and have a good one.
think that was pretty good. Yeah, that was definitely the first and last episode of Donkey <laughs> Donk Talk. I know I'm going to get people that are messaging immediately being like, I'm sorry, that's a bit more of a Minnesotan accent. Uh, that's true. Minnesota is so much easier to do than Wisconsin because, you know, I give a shit about Minnesota. Because <laughs> anyone has ever given a shit about Minnesota <laughs> I mean, slightly. Like, like Prince was from there, so I guess I care a little more. Just a little. Yeah. Uh, anyhow. Uh, go Packers. Go <laughs> So go uh, Vikes. So so yeah, <laughs> where, where were we? We were talking about what happened with the world, where everything kind of like split up and they became the five kingdoms. Yeah. Uh, so the you have. Well, I guess we could get into what the kingdoms are. Yeah, let's just talk about the five kingdoms. So this book does not allow you to be anything but human. Now it mentions elves and dwarves constantly and almost invariably in the same sentence. Yeah, it always talks about usually elven and dwarven crafts. Yes. If you're you're looking at like armor or weapons or whatever, it'll mention elves and dwarves a lot, but you don't get to play as them. They are not anything you get to do. Uh there's no there's not even really monster manual manual entries for them. No, they're just, it's they're just once upon a time there were elves and dwarves and you know back when back in the D and D ages, but we've we've moved on past that. Yeah, and occasionally you also hear things about cyclopes oh, yeah. and how they can make great armor. Now, of course, they don't know that the plural of cyclops is cyclopes. So it's, I know it, they don't. It, it, they it's, say it's cyclopses. A, yeah, they go cyclopses. Uh, and not even Cyclops, just Cyclopses. Yep. Uh, but apparently those guys are super important too. And when you, when I actually read their monster manual entry, it amazingly does not mention Hephaestus, <laughs> but it, but it does open with an amazing sentence, which is like, uh, was it uh, humans have in, have always stayed away from the lands that Cyclopses live on? They're, that is why they are so rare. And I was like, that doesn't. Those two things don't lie. I, I guess that's why they're so rare in human lands. Yeah, they're like, like oh, we didn't a sentence. We don't have our lands anywhere near these, so they're very rare to find in our lands that yeah. aren't near them. But in their own lands, they wouldn't be very rare, would they? Because you've been leaving them alone. Yeah, but this book isn't about anything but humans. Yeah, I guess that's true. You're right. You're right. You've got me. You've got. So, I'm just saying that's a weirdly weird spot to leave the sentence. It could have ended with they're, so they're very rare in human lands and made a lot more sense. <laughs> the more you know. So there are five different places you can be from and that is basically what your race slash class ends up being mm -hmm. uh, all the different regions have uh their own special like perks and drawbacks that they get uh, and then they all yeah. have their own specific skill list yeah they have their own skill list but the skill lists have a lot of overlap between them uh, it's just there's a couple of skills in each one that are, like, unique or more or less expensive for various... Some will be, like, yeah. it's easier to train these or you can train them higher mm -hmm. or, you know, it's less expensive or something like that. But usually a lot of things will overlap. A lot of them overlap. Like, for example, sound analysis, which is this game's version of, like, listen, uh, is all, all five of the humans can buy sound analysis yeah. for the same price. Uh, it, I don't know why it's not just called listen, uh, but it, it is called sound analysis, uh, <laughs> suggesting that the analysis that you that you are trained in is not, it, you know, uh, wacky or off base. It's sound. It's, uh -huh. it's a sound analysis. Uh, OK, uh, so, so there are five places. Mm -hmm. The first one is the Highlanders, mm -hmm. which are a right down the middle blend of the Scottish and Native Americans mm -hmm. and you look at a picture of them and you're like, oh, you just 
you just like Mr. Potato Headed various parts from these two and put them onto a dude, didn't you? I mean, they aren't the they might be the first people to do that, but they aren't the last. So that's what the trollkin are in Privateer Press uh, hordes. Well, they're sure. just Scottish. Oh no, there's a little bit of Highland in them. There's a little. Oh, I guess that's the same thing. There's a little bit of uh, other stuff in there too. But no, anyway, these guys are ridiculous. Yeah. So you look at them and you're like, oh, you got kilts and little vests and like a feather in your mohawk and i don't even know what the fuck is going on here mm-hmm. anymore and they fight with hatchets in one hand and like uh long horns in the other one uh they are weird they're a weird culture and so if you're from there then you're usually rugged but you have a deep love of the land and are nomadic and you believe in the spirits that exist in everything and the great spirits and you're a fucking Scottish Native American. That's all it is. You are the most stereotypical things from both of those cultures slammed together. That is correct. And you do get each one of them also gets a bonus to some of the st- a bonus and a penalty to some of the stats, unless you're from the Empire, in which case you're the normal guy and you don't get anything. So these guys get a ten point bonus to their health score. And by the way, the stats are strength, dexterity, health, influence, knowledge, and will. And if those sound like they map to a certain set of other Statistics you've heard of before. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, and they also get a minus 10 penalty to their intelligence score because they're... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, that's not intelligence. That's knowledge, isn't it? Oh, you're right. Come I'm on sorry. Now. That's knowledge, not intelligence. Uh, they, get a, they get a 10 penalty to their knowledge. I'm going to go ahead and venture a guess that it's because they're they're part Native American. And this I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's because they are uneducated but noble savages. Yeah, that's pretty much where we're going with this. this yeah. That's the level of discourse one might expect from this book. Yeah. So the next thing is the Pythian Empire, which is the empire of people who only believe in science, and they don't truck with any of this religion garbage. They're science people through and through. Except except for when they're law people, because they have a very strict culture of laws. Well, yeah, I mean, they're... They're the we don't want any of the fantasy nonsense to impede our empire. I mean, a lot of them. This is the weird one of the weird things about this book. The t- tonality of this book is that ninety percent of the or not ninety percent, but like a, a large number of the entries in the book are basically just jokes. They're just like, haha, it's a funny joke. But then like the actual combat structure and how the game plays and the rules are all extremely serious and complicated. But the Pythians are like, oh, these guys have such important law and so many law cases all the time that many times when you go to court over a law matter, you have one minute to present your case or else you're found guilty and killed. That's why there's a whole class of people called law speakers who can make a lot of arguments at once out of their mouth in just one minute. They're called the law speakers and they command a high price. Yeah. It's like, that's okay. You're making lawyer jokes. You're turning this into like a half paranoia, half lawyer joke scenario and... Sure. I mean, that's fine if you want to make this book kind of a parody of cultures, but boy, the, the rest of the book doesn't follow suit. Now, the it's weird to me that they decided to make Pythians be the ones that are like, oh, we're standard. Because you would think, oh, it's a whole culture that's you've just said is obsessed with science and law. And you'd think you, you'd go, oh, you get a bonus to knowledge because your whole culture is about like learning things. And then maybe a penalty to, let's say, I don't know, health or dexterity because you aren't going outside of your, like, classrooms ever. Yeah, but they're not nerds. They're Romans. And they're the default because there's the most of them and they live in the middle of the um, of the known settled human lands. So that's that's why they get to be the neutral guys. And I just remembered that it's not law speakers. It's tonguers. Yeah. 
Uh, and the practice by which they communicate super law is tonguing. Yes. I Sorry. I, I wanted to make sure that I made that clear because it's stupider than whatever I thought up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's the Empire people. They, they don't get a bonus, and they are basically just sort of rigorous lawgiver Roman t- types. Uh, the next one after that is the... People from Nilbray. Yeah, the Nilbrayans uh, are the evil empire. Yeah, they're the southernmost stop on the BART system in San Francisco. Is that too topical or too local? That is too local. And it's not Nilbray, it's Milbray. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's probably, you know what, San Francisco and Bay Area listeners, congratulations. That one's for that's you. For, that's for you guys. <laughs> yeah, so the Nilbrayans are the ones who, after they got liberated from demons, were like, well, fuck it. I'm still going to summon demons. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they went, eh. Yeah, we're fine. As long as we only summon, like, shitty demons, it should be great. Also, I'm going to summon great demons. Yeah. So uh, so the Nilbrayans get to summon demons still uh, to this day. They're the only ones who have access to that particular school of magic. They I, mean, are I think entire... other ones can learn it, but they, they, they're treated as outsiders or evil if they oh, do. Yeah. yeah. The entire culture is basically evil. I mean, they try to sell it to you as, like... Their culture is divided up between the adventuring class and the non-adventuring class. That the adventuring class is like players, like you know, you're oh, I'm a I'm a dude who has a sword and I go out into the wilderness and I fight stuff and I come back with my loot and sell it. The non-adventuring cast is like their their uh, high end life expectancy is like twenty five. Well, yeah, the whole thing is like, what is this? Oh, they've got slaves and uh, anyone that you can beat up and take their stuff, it's fine. Like, it's very might makes right, and everyone's evil. I found it amusing that they were like, yeah, uh, non-adventuring class people in this culture don't even have money, because what would they possibly do with it? Like, they have no idea of the concept of comfort or enjoyment. So why bother having more money than the next person next to them? They're just going to get punched anyway. So Uh, that's that's the kind of gag that this movie, or this book is is heavily featuring. Yeah. Uh, After that, we get probably the most interesting of them, which is the Thalians. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in the history of the, uh, the world, when everyone else was being conquered by demons and all fucked up and whatnot, they were off on some island and they were fine. At one point there was a giant storm and they were all going to die. But then like water spirits came and were like, Hey, if you, uh, wish it was water spirits. It's, it's intelligent giant squid. I know. (laughs) (laughs) They come up and they're like, hey, yo, uh, yo, my dudes, if you promise to never do any magic but water magic, we'll give you the ability to breathe underwater. And they went, yeah, all right. And they're like, yeah, but we'll still get killed by the impact of the giant wave that's going to knock us all over, right? And, and the squid are like, nope. No, you you live underwater now. Yeah. Uh, don't worry about it. None of you will die from this. You'll just worship us, the crash. <laughs> the giant underwater squid people that live in the bottom floors of your underwater amphibious city now. Uh, and then they, they say yes, and so thousands of years later, we deal with these guys today as they look, which is ridiculous. Yeah. There's only, like, two pictures of them in the whole book. Uh, they have ludicrously huge eyelashes or eyebrows or something. Uh, they're all wearing Speedos, and they have flipper feet. Yeah, they're merfolk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Their entire society is survival of the fittest. Yeah, they have a super murdery society. So when you're like a teenager, they go, hey, uh, now that you've learned a whole bunch of stuff, you're going to go out into the wilds Mm -hmm. and we're going to send someone to go kill you. Mm -hmm. And if they succeed, then fuck you. You weren't very good. and You shouldn't be in society. If you kill them, then fuck them. They shouldn't have been in society. Yeah, except the the weird thing is it doesn't really happen in the wild so much as just 
for between the ages of 13 and 17, you're just like attack on site for the entire Thalian military wherever you are. It's very weird. Yeah, so like you just on your date way to high school or whatever, like guards will see you and be like, "Get that fucking guy! He's a teenager!" And you either fight them to a standstill, or or uh, you you find a way to hide from them and escape. And that lasts until you're like seventeen, at which point they determine if you are worth it or not. Yeah, I mean, if you do kill one of the people who was after you, they're like, "Great, that means you're cool." Yeah, the, yeah. Then you get to enter the elite warrior class. If you survive, just getting beaten up and, and do all right, but not amazing. Then you go into the merchant classes, and uh, if you spend the whole time hiding, then you basically become an assassin because you're good at that. Yeah. And so their whole thing is very, you know, survival of the fittest, and everyone has to be doing their best, and if you fuck up, then fuck you. You suck. Yeah. And they're the only society that minorly gets along with the Nilbrayans mm -hmm. because they both of them are like, eh, fuck you, got mine, the society. Yeah. So... Of the, society, of the classes in the game, or people you can play as in the game, three of them get a plus 10 to one thing and a minus 10 to something else. One of them gets nothing. And then the Thalians get, like, two plus fives and two minus fives, plus yeah. the ability to breathe all water that they would like to. Just as much water as they want. They just to, so much water. They just go to these all-you-can-breathe water buffets constantly. Going to town yeah. on that water. Smorgasbord waters, they call them. Uh, and then uh, the... <laughs> Uh, they also lose the ability to cast any any magic that isn't water magic. Yeah. So they're the weirdest humans that you can play as in the game. And the final one is the Outlanders. Mm, and they have your woman. <laughs> Outlander. <laughs> uh, the Outlanders are a collection of small kingdoms that are constantly fighting with each other, but no one ever takes much. Like, if you... Uh, send out troops or whatever to your neighboring kingdom. You'll loot them. You might take some stuff or do whatever, but nobody ever conquers anyone else because the second anyone in all of these kingdoms gets slightly bigger than anyone else, all of the rest of the kingdoms will join together to beat the shit out of them. So they're in this sort of weird place where everyone's constantly at war. Everyone's constantly got these mercenaries, but it's all very like jovial fighting like haha beat you this week i'll be taking that statue oh ho, ho, i'll take it from you next week in the skirmish and you're like yeah it's all, it's all robin hood and his merry men type shenanigans like when you've doled down robin hood to a fun cartoon for kids where like they, they have a whole thing about how like they're constantly setting up checkpoints and taxing each other and everyone's just like oh it's fine we all carry around bags of silver so we can pay the taxes yeah it's real weird mm -hmm. it's it's a I would say probably the only interesting place that they set up. I mean, the Thalians are an amphibious city that's ruled by giant squid. Well, I mean, they're not really ruled by them. They more worship them than anything. Uh, yeah, I guess that's fair. I don't know if they actually are passing down edicts or whatever. Not really. No, they, they got a parliament down there. They're constantly de betray or delaying Brexit. That's all they do. <laughs> that's it. Yep, the giant squids. Uh, so... <laughs> But yeah, the the Outlanders are funny at least. I mean, in that they're just constantly in it, you know, fun GI Joe style battle with each other. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that comes from that is like, oh, you're probably some sort of mercenary because they love fucking mercenaries there. And because everyone there is from their own little tiny kingdoms, there's you don't get a bonus or a penalty to their stats either because they're just there's super variable about where they're from. Uh, but they can learn skills from any other any other nation at a fifteen point penalty because they may have picked it up from just about anywhere because they're just from around. Yeah. Uh, the, 
I guess we can get into the system. Which one? Skills? The stats? What do you, which well, I'll start at the beginning. Probably the weirdest thing about this is when you are making your character, you have, you know, six stats and you roll down the line, but you roll 7d10, drop the two lowest. Yeah, it's kind of a weird curve. Generating a score between 5 and 50, uh, but you get two discards. And you can swap one stat. Yeah, uh, which is weird because you need at least one other stat to swap it with. So technically it doesn't do anything. Well, I mean, you, you, you swap, swap it. You can swap strength, but then with what? You're not, you're, 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 your stat choice, it's strength. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, if I were designing this old-ass crappy game... You'd write I'd, it better? I'd, I'd get the language right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Me, a, a professional languageologist. <laughs> That's me. I talks good American. I'm a languageizer, and I'm here to tell mm -hmm. you about this book. Mostly because I'm afraid of the police cruising guys. <laughs> I'm so good with language. That's why it's my job to talk into this here microphone. <laughs> uh, okay, so sorry about that. Yeah, you can swap any one pair of statistics. And the, the whole thing that has a lot of charts that you go to look at where... You'll oh, be yeah. like, oh, uh, okay, my health is whatever. Okay, well, now i got to look through every single breakdown of, like, if you're between 5 and 12, you have this, and 13 and 20 has this. And it's it's just sort of a very weird... I mean, it looks just like the the old, what, what like, a second edition with the stats module, or, or Riffs, for example, has that long list of what the stats do when you're above 15. But with uh, this, instead of it being like, Oh, every two points you get a whatever, or every ten points you get a bonus whatever. Because it'll change. It'll be like, oh yeah, at the beginning, every like ten points you get something, and then once you get up to like the forties, it'll be like forty-one and forty-two get you this. No, you're right. Yeah. So it, there's it, no like there's a midpoint progression. There's yeah. For example, your strength if it's between five and twenty, it's all the same thing. So that's a fifteen-point category. The next one is 21 to 30, which is a 10-point category. 31 to 35, 36 to 40, and then somewhere around 50, it goes right back to the 10s before dropping into 5s for a while again and then finishing out at 10s. Yeah, there's, there's really not a whole lot of rhyme or reason to these things. Mm -hmm. But Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even see that the chart doubles over and has a secondary column. It actually ends in the 15s. The last entry is 251 through 265. Which... I don't know why that's in the character generation part, given that the highest strength you can have is a 50. Uh, John, the most rampant and filthy plague that operated through the mid-90s and early 90s in RPG design was completism, <laughs> where, where people would include absolutely everything because otherwise the graph wasn't finished. Yeah, I, I cannot deal with this shit. Yeah, strength will give you a damage bonus and a break chance, because this game has... Oh my God! To roll the old Ben Bars well, lift gates thing no, in this. I mean that's part of it, but also that's your chance to break slash sever. Yeah, uh, which means whenever you attack, whatever you, you have a horrible girlfriend, you've got a chance to sever. <laughs> when attacking someone in this game is ludicrous. There's like 15 rolls. It takes forever to do combat uh, because you have these chances to like cut arms off, and there's there's dodge that's built that, that's subtracted from the attacker's attack, and then also an active dodge. That's rolled against the attacker's attack, and then an impact roll against the attacker's attack. It just it goes on forever. The weirdest part for me in this is you get dodge points that you can use in combat to dodge, uh, yeah, and it's not a those. dodge skill. 
You just have dodge points you can spend, mm-hmm. and they regenerate, you know, depending on what your uh, stat is. And do, do, Am I right? Do they not actually dodge an attack, but they force a reroll <sighs> on the attack against you? They do. I honestly kept trying to find where it said dodge points, what they do. Mm-hmm. And there's a point in the combat section where it's like, the header is dodge points, and it just says... You can use dodge points, and you'll probably want to do that because you don't want to take the full brunt of the attack. Moving on, I'm like, oh, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> don't don't you tease me like this. Sorry, I need the extra page space to describe the difference between wizard guilds and hedge wizard guilds. Ugh. So you get dodge points, which let you uh, like not take the brunt of the attack. I think is if you spend a dodge point, you take a lower attack. Mm-hmm. There's also energy points, and that is anything you want to do. Oh, that's right. Costs energy. So if I swing my sword, depending on what the sword is, it's like, oh, this costs four energy points or whatever. Yeah, and those are determined by your, like, health score, uh, which you have to multiply to... I forget the specific calculation, but there's a calculation you run through to determine how many energy points you have to allow you to fight in combat. And And if you're out of them, you don't get to do anything. You gotta stand there where you can regenerate a small amount of them instead of doing anything that round. Yeah, the whole thing is you get some energy points, you spend them until you get to the threshold for energy Mm -hmm. where at that point you have to start rolling on your like will or whatever. Yeah, you roll against your will which means if you have a really high will you can spend in the negatives of energy points but as soon as you get down to the point where you fail one of those rolls then you have to just sit there and do nothing until your energy regens, and you get, I think it's like five points if you just sit there for a round. Yeah. Which means combat, if it goes longer than we murder everyone and then run out of energy, mm-hmm. then it's just going to go, all right, I hit you, and then I spend around doing nothing, and then I hit you, and then I spend around doing nothing, and it's like, this is terrible. Oh, it gets worse when you actually flip through the monster category and realize that a ton of them, it'll be like, monsters in this book are, are divided up by categories of types of monsters, so you'll have things like elementals, uh, humanoids, fairies, uh, and then those categories get bonuses that are, like, universal across them, like, uh, you know, some dragons, for example, are immune to non-magical weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, fairies and a few of the other categories have infinite energy. Yeah. As as their uh, one of their bonuses, which means that you'll be standing there going, all right, I swing a sword. I got to just take a hang on. I'm so sleepy. This is, it's not just, it's just, I got to sit down. And the, the fairy's like, woohoo, I'm going to attack you again. Yay, forever. I don't have to stop. I can do anything. Woo. You have to spend energy if you want to dodge and attack and do anything else in the round. I can just do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. Like I, I the Leprocon, by the way, uh, although it has infinite energy for attacks, uh, never goes into com- into combat. It specifically says it will never go into combat, and I imagine you would not either if you were two feet of height. Uh, I mean, I might if I th- had infinite energy and was magic. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> but I, I like that it switches into the first person just to give you that little inve- little joke there. I believe you would not either were you two feet of stature. Like, oh, come on, man. That's about how, about how big a badger is. <laughs> Don't you think you know me? I'll fight a <laughs> motherfucker at two feet tall. Fuck you. I'm coming for the knees, bitch. Uh, so, yeah, you get 
energy and dodge points and health points mm, and skill points uh those are your sub stats that that are relevant uh you get a, a base number of skill points i believe it's 50 plus your knowledge score times 3 yep uh in in skill points to spend uh skill skills work such that some of them you already have a skill value in because everyone does well yeah every uh like different country that we had mentioned like the different zones mm-hmm. have their own skill list yeah and in there you'll see a base for what you start with so it will be anywhere from like a stat divided by 4 which means you know maybe at the best you've got like a 12 in there mm-hmm. up to just whatever your stat is yeah yeah. So you, um, actually, I think the best one is rope use, which is like your stat plus ten. In here, if you are from the Highlands, your rope use is equivalent to your knowledge divided by two plus twelve. Uh, uh, the best one for the Highlands is the is is riding, which is just dexterity plus ten. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, it's stat plus ten. But then a lot of them are things like knowledge plus wisdom divided by eight. Yeah, so there's why am a I doing all lot these of no- fucking so, shitty calculations. So why am I doing this? all this math? Can you just put a three there and call it a day? The main issue I have with this, while at one point I look at this and go, all right, everyone has their own skill list, Mm -hmm. and you can kind of dip, but whatever you picked, the skill list is sort of what you should be doing, so that's fine. There's not a ton of skills per skill list. I mean, it's not small. It's maybe, uh, what, it's... I'd say probably what, like 30? 45. 45. There's 45 skills per skill list. There's a lot of overlap between them, but, but not not automatic. Well, the thing is, for a character, you're looking at it, you're like, okay, well, you're going to give me base competency in these skills for everything except for, like, magic use and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then whatever I want to do, I can put my skill points in. Great. Problem is, there is also on this chart, in addition to the base value you get there is a maximum value you can have Mm -hmm. and almost everything is like well what what's the most i could have of this oh a 40 you have a 40 percent chance of doing this if you are the best you can be at a starting character yep yep the the maximum value the only maximum value on the highlands characters that exceeds 40 percent for skill rolls Oh, sorry, there's two. There's 50% for astronomy and 60% for writing. Yeah, usually for most places, they'll be like, all right, fucking like climbing or swimming, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, you can get above 40. But anything that's a skill that is at all something that would be like, oh, you need to learn this, they decided, oh, no, you're a new character, so obviously you shouldn't be able to know a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make it so that all of your magic use... All of your cool skills, all your alchemy, all of that, it's all going to cap at about 40. Yeah. And when you are making your character, you have skill points. Each point is 1%. Mm-hmm. You can age yourself yep. a year to get 12 skill points. Mm-hmm. But it tells you, like, ooh, don't do this too much, though. Because there's a chart for the the aging penalties, you start getting less dexterous and less less strong as you age. Yeah, but that doesn't start until like 35, and you start as an 18 year old. Yeah, so the- means, there's really no reason not to put 17 more points in there and get whatever 17 times 12 is in skills. Yeah, and it tries to tell you not to do that, not because of aging, but they're like, oh, don't worry, you're going to gain skills 
so much faster during play than you are by doing this. I mean, they're not wrong, provided you don't put any points at all into any of your skills. Because <laughs> the game the game has one of those inverse proportionate growth mechanics for when you use skills. It'll be like, hey, if you use a skill, mark a checkpoint down. And then later, if you roll above it on a D100, uh, which would indicate a failure, you gain one percentage point in it for that adventure. And then erase all your check marks. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> the problem is you need a number of check marks Equal to, I think it's like your stat divided by two and then divide that into the skill. There's some stupid... Yeah, there's some arcane statistic value you have to get to to get it. But and most of the time it means if you're like, oh, I've got a 50 in something. What do you need? I need seven check marks. Which means I have to use the skill seven times in a row on seven consecutive adventures. Uh, and then after that, I, I get to start rolling to see whether or not it goes up by one. Yeah, and... Even in their example, like they have one of those, oh, and here's how it works. This character got four check marks this game, and he had three left over from last, which lets him get that's a right. percentage so you, point. So it is consecutive between the, okay, so you can use it more than once in a mission. And get oh, yeah. One. Yeah, okay, that's fine. You can't use it at all for weapon skills or magic skills. Uh, those go up, those have to be purchased directly with, with untyped experience. So they don't want you fiddling around during combat with like, I swung my axe, check mark. Yeah, this ain't Final Fantasy two. Get the fuck out. Yeah, uh, so those are those are immune to this ridiculous nonsense. By the way, with the example when John said this character, that was a blessing that he left for you there by just shortening the name of the character to this character, uh, because all of the examples in this book are done with late '80s style Dungeons and Dragons Dragon Magazine alliteration jokes. I don't know why they decided every character needed to be alliterative, but they're like. Bertha, the bouncing barbarian beauty, decides to... And I'm like, oh, fuck off. I don't need this in my life. Uncouth Carl, the six-cocked cambler. What's a cambler? Don't worry about it. The cambler. <laughs> makes, Save us from the camblers. He makes Campbells. It's a proud family profession. Ah, uh, yes, the Wickwillian Campbells. <laughs> Oh, uh, man. But, yeah, every single one of them is that. And it's even worse when there's two people fighting. Yeah, I... It's, again, part of that thing you mentioned where you were like, sometimes this book just decides to go into a funny goof -em up tone mm -hmm. and do things very jokey. But the rest of the book is dead serious about, like, no, we're writing a fucking heartbreaker. Yeah. Yeah, there's all these parts where it's like, understandably, armor's going to be complicated to wear. That's why we have the following 25 explanations about armor. Incidentally, the most powerful type of dragon in this game is the plaid dragon. Womp, 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 womp. Jokes. Uh, it's so weird to have this complete split between, like, mm -hmm. uh, we're doing a serious fantasy heartbreaker, and then randomly it feels like one of the editors came in and was like, ah, I'm working on my type five. Eh. Yeah, except it's exceptionally shaggy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a part of the monster manual section that I want to get into when we get towards the end where the demons of the world have their own union. Yeah, no, the <laughs> the stuff put into this book is so weird. Yeah. Anyway, pretty much once you build your skill list out and buy your equipment, you're done making your character. Uh, there's only skills... Uh, that there's a couple of special powers between the various uh, countries of origin that make your character uh, different from any other character. Uh, like if you're Thalian, you can breathe water, for example. But yeah. but once you've got your skills, you're done, and and that oh, does no. include magic because magic is just more skills you buy. There's also the special powers you get. Oh, that's right. But those have nothing to do with choice. No, there's a deck of 
perforated cardboard playing cards that make up the back 20 or so pages of the book. Uh, at the start of the game, each player is dealt three of them, and they also get dealt them at various experience breakpoints. Now, the various powers you get are supposed to be you are, like, getting divine powers or whatever. And the weird thing with that is it's not just stuff you do. Like, instead of saying, oh, I have the divine power of healing, and so I can you know, heal someone X hit points, and that's just a power I have. Instead, all of them are percentage-based skill things. So if I have a power, let's say, of resurrection, mm -hmm. I can use that power to resurrect someone, and then it has like a 3% chance that I get to keep it. Yes. Which means some of the powers are essentially just one-offs, but some of them are like, what is this? Oh, you can't lose it. Or the skill percentage is like 85%. Yeah. So yeah, you might... Those are fairly simple abilities. Like, light is an 85% retention one. Yeah. So you might get something where you're like, oh, this is just a power my dude has forever. And you might get something that's like, I'm just sitting on this in case, oh my god, I can't use it, because if I do, I'm going to lose it. Well, a lot of the 0% ones are ones that just affect other cards. So they're one-off uses. Like, one of them is called uh, Retention. It's got a 0% chance of keeping it. And it's automatically keep any card that has at least a 1% chance of retention. Must be played in uh, in place of a normal retention roll. Draw a new card after playing this card. Yeah. So, like, that one's just, uh, you know, if you have three cards and one of them's that one, then you can use that to keep an important card. Oh, yeah, you, you could be like, I do the Resurrection, and then I play this, and then I keep Resurrection, and also draw a new card to replace the Retention card I mm -hmm. had. So I don't lose anything. One of them I found interesting was the, this is probably the one I would be picking, is the Initiative card. Well, unfortunately, you don't get to pick them. I know. They get dealt to you. Uh, initiative is change any single group's initiative roll to a one. Yeah. Uh, one, is, this is a roll high initiative system. An initiative for monsters and groups of people that aren't the party are grouped. Like So that means you just go, the monsters have a one initiative with an 88% chance of retention. Yeah, it's... The things that they decided were way too powerful and could only be like one use possibly two if you had you know like a retention or you managed to roll like a two or something on your roll were the big flashy ones but there are ones like the initiative one where it's just constantly good mm -hmm. and you're probably going to keep it for most of your adventuring time and i feel like that would be way better than a one time off where you're like oh i get to do like a fireball, and there's a 10% chance I get to keep it. I like this one here. Probabilitai control. <laughs> it's uh, They've missed an I between the B and the L there, so it comes off as probab... And then they've added an additional I between the T and the Y, uh, forming probabilitai control. Oh, good. 0% uh, retention. Well, if you look in the monster manual, the probabilitai is in there, <laughs> so if you run across one... I assume it's a different thing, because on the very next page is a different one called probability manipulation, where it's spelled right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so I'm not sure what's happening there. Probabilitai control gives you 0% retention. Draw a new card after playing this card. Change the result of any percentile die roll you make to whatever you want. Yeah. I like that one because it doesn't say you have to keep it within the bounds of a D100 scale. So you can be like, oh, I changed the number to a million. And then they go, okay. Mm -hmm. It's fine. You have to get rid of the card, though. Also, that means I'm going to hang on to that card and try and play it in another game. <laughs> <laughs> Some game where you roll percentile for stats. But, uh, yeah, there's not as many of these as I, as I remember. There's only a couple of pages of them. Uh, they are, according to the book, that it's a section 
there's a couple points where they mention them. They're just like players start with three of these. You can play them. You might be, get a chance to keep them. Uh, there's a part near the back where the, where the guy's discussing planes of existence. Uh, and he's like, well, there's a hell plane, which is basically a prison for demons. There's no heaven, though. I didn't put a heaven in the game. And this is, again, him switching into first person. I didn't put a heaven in the game because while demons are an important part of fictional literature, angels usually aren't. Uh, and also, it might be argued that the players themselves, what with their semi-divine card abilities, are the angels of the story. Uh, so that's why you'll find that that's what the cards are there to represent is the semi divinity of the players. Yeah, I mean there is a bit where they talk about it early in character creation where they're like, as a character, you're going to have to reconcile uh, you having these powers with your beliefs or anything. Like if you're from the Pythian Empire and you're like, oh, I don't believe in magic, I believe in science and logic, and then you're like, also I can resurrect people. There's a way where you'll have to be like, all right, I need to reconcile this with my beliefs. Yeah, yeah. God, that just... Also, the the idea that there's that angels are not commonly discovered in literatures. Yeah, well, especially when you're like, well, demons are there, but not angels. I'm like, demons and angels sort of kind of kind of go together. Yeah, and I can think of at least one series where only the one shows up. You know, uh, Madeline Lingle, the wind in the door stuff. There's angels in that, but I don't think there's any demons. Oh, also angels in the outfield. I'm pretty sure there's only angels in angels in the. Actually, I'm pretty sure they're just dead baseball players. Or live, oh, man. live baseball players. Are they angels? Is it They're angels? Angel. Now? Angels that's, in the outfield is where that's literal right. That, that's angels. the one with angels in it. That's okay. I've forgotten. I, angels I, in the outfield is a kid prays for the Los Angeles Angels. Yes, that's to start right. Winning and literal angels come down and help the yeah. Angels baseball team win. Yeah, because the kid thinks if they get the pennant, his deadbeat dad will come back. Yeah, and the Doc from Back to the Future. Yeah, in Christopher there. Lloyd. Is yeah, there. He's, okay. I had it confused in my head with Field of Dreams. That's. Not the same movie. No. <laughs> you know what? It's okay. Now I'm just going to conflate it in my head with Rookie of the Year instead. Oh, man. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> Kid gets like a broken arm and it makes his pitching too good. It's so <laughs> good. Did he just say funky butt loving? <laughs> God, I haven't seen that forever. Oh. Man, okay. I think we need to go watch Angels in the Outfield. Screw the rest of this book. Dude, Rookie of the Year is straight up one of the best Oops, movies. I meant to say Rookie of the Year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that in theaters and was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I don't even like baseball, and this is amazing. Anyway, baseball movies. Yeah. Most of them with Kevin Costner. So the meat of the middle of this book is given over to magic and hedge magic. Mm. Hedge magic can bite my asshole. I mean, magic's not that much better. There are eight schools of magic. Uh, any one player can only be trained in up to three of them. Uh, there are a number of overlapping spells between them. Uh, you you have to spend power points to cast spells. Spells can sometimes take longer than the casting time, or in casting time, than a, a round of combat, in which case you were expected to stand there until the spell goes off. Uh, spells will go off in points in the initiative track that are like, the, if your speed of the spell is eight, they'll go off at the, the eight step of initiative. But the one example of that in play is like this guy see, is fighting with another wizard and he casts a firebolt at the wizard, which singes that wizard. Uh, and then in the next round, he realizes the wizard has been casting a disintegration spell. So before she can get the spell off, he stabs her, breaking her concentration. But the GM rules that because that's, that spell was going to go off later during this phase of combat, it still goes off and he's disintegrated. Yeah. And I was like, but that breaks your own fucking rules. No, the rules basically say 
if a spell would be cast during a round, mm-hmm. anything that happens that round doesn't stop. That's fair, yeah. this is one of those games that says, oh, initiative isn't everyone waits and goes and turns. Everything happens at the same time. Yeah, they're like, you, you, initiatives are done by group of monsters, and if two players are the same initiative, it's up to them to determine who goes first. But it doesn't matter, because if I stab a guy and he stabs at me, basically it all happens at once. Yes. So, uh, okay, so there's eight spears of magic. One of them is psionics, uh, which is just because there's like a mind magic school. It's not, they, those people aren't actually psionic. Yeah. Uh, but there's also like necromancy and healing and, you know, the, the standard shit. The, the four elements are in there. Uh, so there you go. Those, and then, like John was saying, they're not that interesting, but hedge magic, that's an interesting failure. Ugh. So they decided to put in hedge magic, which is like herbalism, alchemy, mm-hmm. runes of power. And enchanting, I think is. Yeah. Oh, and poison craft is also. Oh, like, yeah. They put poison into hedge magic for some reason, but whatever. Yeah. Because it uses the same mechanic, which mm-hmm. is when you are out and about, you can make a roll on whatever your skill for that hedge magic is mm-hmm. and see if you can find some materials. Yeah, you're looking for reagents. Now, if you succeed at the roll, great, you find something. Now you go to a table and see what you find. Because depending on where you are, there are different reagents available. Mm-hmm. And these aren't like, oh, uh, I want to make like a potion of invisibility. Okay, well, I'm going to go specifically search for this herb that I need. Oh, no, no, no. You can't go look for specific things. You get to just scrounge around and hope you get something. Yeah, and it's all just forgettable fantasy nonsense words. So you'll be scrounging around and you might find some like squirg or a warple or something. I've got thistle nettle bush. Yeah, or (laughs) I found dork root. (laughs) <laughs> it's him. He's the dork root. <laughs> he's the he's the ur template from which all dorks were crafted. Uh, so, <laughs> but it's all based on where you are. So if you're like, oh, I want to craft a potion of invisibility. Oh, well, the reagent for that is only in the woods. Unfortunately, you're in the mountains, mm-hmm. so you can't find that. You can find this weird root, and you can use that for a potion of strength. Well, I don't. I don't need that. I I need a potion of... Well, fuck you. Yeah. That's not what you get here. Also, you need four different things to make a potion. You need a base and and a reagent and... uh, there's uh, something that's, that mixes them, and so well, yeah, if, there's three or four ingredients in every potion. Everything has its own thing. So, like, if it's just herbalism, like, oh, I just need to make a tea that, like, relaxes you or something, mm-hmm. that you only need... Like a base and an herb to get. Yeah, and you can add a modifying reagent, which will make it... But they're boring. Yeah. They just go, oh, it lasts half as long. It lasts twice as long. Done. Yeah. Then when you get to things like uh, actual alchemy, it's like, oh, you need this thing and this thing, and then a base, and then a modifier, and then you also need to use X amount of dollars worth of like weird little bits that you throw into it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything in there that gave a price for any of these herbs no instead there's the cost of hiring adventurers to go scrounging scrounging for stuff and the cost of just buying them outright but you have to buy them from like wizards well yeah you could go buy the potion but it's not like i can go to the market and be like hey do you have any like fresh rosemary no that doesn't work in this world no because that's the job of adventurers like Literally, if you read the section on how adventurers' guilds work, it'll be like, hey, if you, you can also go on a, a reagent quest where you just go up into the woods and get reagents, and the payment is 110% of the value of the reagent. 
Like, if you're bored, you could just go off into the woods, roll that reagent search thing, and then go back to the Adventurer's Guild and be like, I found Squargwargs. These are worth three gold each, so I get three gold plus 10% of three gold. So three gold and three silver. Yay. That's And then I guess you just do that again. Like, it's just grinding. Yeah, I don't... It's so weird to me that they would be like, Okay, did you want a thing? Great. I guess your party is sidelined while you all take a trip to the beach so you can find beach reagents. I mean, your party's going to get sidelined a lot in this game anyway, because the, the, tr the, the way skills work is everything requires training time, training payments, and you have to find trainers. Oh, yeah. And the, tra and the training payments are weird. Sometimes it's like, oh, you want to learn to swim? That's fine. So you can find that for like 15 gold. Some guy will teach you to swim. And I'm like, 15 gold is fucking ridiculous. In a world where a person makes like a silver a day, having to pay for like a fucking car equivalent to learn how to swim is stupid. You fucked up. But then it gets even worse from there when it's like, oh, I want to learn how to pick pockets. That costs 500 gold to start. Yeah. Well, the... <sighs> Pickpockets, what you start doing when you don't have any money. I know. It's the same thing like the assassination skill where they're like, before someone will teach you the assassination skill, you have to perform three assassinations. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, whoa, because assassinations in this game aren't just clandestine killings of a person. They are a specific type of attack you do. Yeah, I don't think you understand. I don't know how to do that. That's why I'm here. Hi, I would like to learn how to drive, please. Very good, sir. Drive that car to the driving school. Well, I'm I'm sorry, but what? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to learn to read and write, please. Great, fill out these forms. That's <laughs> that's basically what they're saying. And and then some of them are just weirdly arbitrary. There's there, one, for example, was like, oh, would you like to learn uh, glass blowing or something like that? It costs you a moderately powerful magical item. Yeah, whatever. It's not gold, and they're like, oh, it costs you, let's say, three months of servitude. And you're like. Uh, uh gonna, can I shop? I'm an adventurer. Can I shop around a little? Because, <laughs> like, I feel like a moderately powerful magic item can't be a global standard. Like, I mean, what's the... Th these guys aren't on fucking Facebook talking about this with each other. There isn't a message board. Well, also, you know, moderately, that's going to be dependent on where you are. If I have an orb of water breathing, that's going to be way more cool to everyone who isn't a Thalian. But if I try to give it to a Thalian, they're going to be like, we all breathe water. Who gives I mean, a fuck? You can argue that all you want, but the, mar the magic items in this game are divided into minor, moderate, and unique. With minor being that there are at least a hundred of them in the world. Ugh. Uh, so... <sighs> The skill. Uh, oh, and also training times are, are measured in the days, weeks, and years. So it's often the book has a whole section on training downtime where it's like if your wizard needs to learn some new enchanting magic, he may need to take one or two years off from the adventure. Uh, make sure you know what the other party members are doing during this time, and uh, make sure to calculate their age value changes when they come back from it from uh, from this downtime. And no, like, I, I mean I get that. We've seen that in other games. We saw that in uh, Pendragon. Where it's like, yeah, advent these adventurers are more like nobility, so they spend years at a time not really doing anything interesting. Except that isn't like the core premise of this game, like yeah. it is with Pendragon. No, I'm not. I'm not excusing. It. I'm just saying I've seen it before. Oh no! It, In a game that made sense, I understand the idea of downtime, though. I don't think that's ever been a thing in any game I've ever. Been it is in. the first house rule to go. No but, one. I've never been in a game where they were like. Oh, yeah, and uh, good job on the adventure. I guess we'll say you guys do fuck all for two years? Yeah. I'd be like, no. I think, I think there's probably three universal house rules to role playing game, to Dungeons and Dragons role-playing games. Yeah. One, I am the game master. Two, I am the final judge. One, I am the key master. Two, you are the gatekeeper. gatekeeper. No, it's, it's, it's... Three, let's get down and dirty. <laughs> Even though Sigourney Weaver's got like two feet on me. I'm down, I'll try. Hell yeah. I'll scale that mountain. 
Uh, uh, anyway, I'm sorry, Rick Moranis. Um, actual, actual thing. Uh, actual three house rules that are in every single game. Uh, number one, no such thing as fucking encumbrance. That shit's boring. No one ever does it. Yeah, I mean, no. it's in this and no one cares. Yeah. Uh, number two, let's eliminate reagents and training times. Those things are boring and do not matter. Uh, number three, let's add critical hit success values to skill rolls. Look, folks, look, folks, I hate to be the bearer of horrible news for all of you, but there has never been I rolled a 20 on rope use so a magic trick happens in any Dungeons and Dragons or equivalent ever. Huh? It was in Haven. So if you want that shit, that dumb shit to happen, go play Haven. Yeah, you but can it, reverse the laws of physics one in 20 times. But every time your story ends with, I roll to seduce the dragon, I got a 20. Fuck off. It doesn't matter. Great. And the dragon's the, like, wow, that'd be great if I was a human. I'm not, though. I'm going to eat you. That'd be great if rolling a 20 was a magic trick and not just a 5% thing. Your story's boring, you douchebag. I eat you. <laughs> You're so angry. I am. That's the least interesting thing about telling jo- uh, stories about Dungeons and Dragons that could possibly happen. Anytime, and folks, feel free to tell your friends. Anytime they have a story where it's like, and then I rolled, uh, just tell them to shut up because the rest of the story is not going to be very interesting. 16. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting story. Now I want to hear that. <laughs> and I guess I hit because the difficulty was a 16. It was pretty cool. <laughs> All right. You want to go get a Frosty Freeze? <laughs> you want to go down to Dairy Queen? Hmm. No such thing as critical hits on skills. <laughs> there you go. Those are the three big house rules. You want to make it five? Do you have any house rules, John? I mean, for me, house rules almost always was uh, we didn't care about material components, like you said. We didn't care about uh, downtime and training time. Training time never existed. No, that's not a fucking thing. That's a, it's, a, it's a thing that gets rules written up in, like, Palladium games and stuff, and no one has ever touched well, it. Well, even in, like, Exalted, they're like, oh, if you want to go from a four to a five, that's going to take five weeks of downtime. I'm like, the fuck it is. Yeah, screw you. Only one of us is operating on a monthly time scale over here because your game is stupid. <laughs> I mean, I love Exalted, don't get me wrong, but it feels a lot of the time when you build a real Exalted circle where everyone's a different uh, cast, it feels like you're playing five different games. <laughs> If one guy is like, I want to get in fights, and the other guy is like, I want to spend eight months revamping the aqueducts around here. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> having the five different casts really makes it so that everyone's goal is so very different. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm not sure. What, we were talking about how house no, rules that are applied so that, to games. The house rules for that are usually let me get rid of the dumb cruft that no one cares about. Mm-hmm. And. You know, if you're playing a game like, say, Torchlight, and an encumbrance and lighting and how much you're doing is, like, the main theme of the game, and it's what you base it around, that's fine. But if you're just like, oh, I made a D&D, and then I tacked on extra rules to make it suck for you, and you're like, okay, well, then no. It's it's the same thing like weapon breakage and armor breakage. Yeah, there's just shit that penalizes the fighter. Yeah, it's just stuff where you're like, oh, this is bad and sucks. Okay, let's not do it because the chance that it's going to happen to me is 100% because I'm rolling all the time, whereas mm-hmm. the chance it happens to any given monster is very tiny. Yeah, that's why those expanded critical wound modifier charts are always a bad idea, too. They're, they're, if you're the players, you don't want that shit because more t- you take more hits than any given monster. Most monsters you ever encounter take three hits and die. Well, yeah, because the players look at it and they're like, oh, dude, if I get a crit on this ogre, I could kill him in one hit, and normally he'd take forever. You know, yeah, but if this applies to both players and monsters, then... Avoid. You know, do not do. Yeah, because 
You, there, there's only so many times that Cobalt can just whiff at you before he's like, Ha-ha! You rolled a 20! You did another 20! I cut your neck out and replace it with your balls! <laughs> oh, no! I'm breathing my balls! Yeah, so, anyway, I'm not sure why we're on this long, weird rant. Uh, the skill system in this game was clunky and had way too many secondary Well, I mean, on. this game also has yeah. the fucking... Training uh, time. Well, training time and also the crits. Oh, that's right. There was even one of the skills is just, I'm better at cutting your arms off. Yeah, there's <laughs> critical hits where you get to look at a chart based on what the weapon it is you're using and what you rolled for the crit, and then you can find out, like, oh, maybe I chopped a dude's arm off or something. And because this applies to the players as well, you're like, oh, there's no way you're going to survive a campaign with all of your limbs intact. Yeah. This is the kind of book, though, where it's like, oh, well, why is all this critical wound stuff in here? Well, we think it's important. I think it's important to, incre to increase the amount of realism that's found in the game. Uh, that way it's easier to, to immerse your players in a, in a realistic environment and really kind of get the verisimilitude going. And, and everyone feels like they're actually there. Incidentally, the first monster in this book is the killer attack ferret. <laughs> yeah, the... <laughs> Again, the fucking back and forth between serious nonsense that someone wants to write and dumb bullshit jokes yeah but uh, at least the crit failure chart in this isn't the worst i mean a lot of it's just you stab yourself you stab your friend well no i mean a bunch of it is just oh uh, you trip and you lose like a little bit of energy or you don't yeah. get to do whatever like i was actually surprised that it wasn't like oh you just stab yourself in the face I mean, <laughs> the, the chance to stab yourself or your friend is present on the chart it's just low number or only the very highest percentile rolls yeah okay uh so there's all those hedge magic types each one of them takes four things uh the herbalism and and, and uh poison ones are simple enough because they're just crap you find in the woods after that it's like you need werewolf balls <laughs> or or the, the, the remains of a ghost. Yeah, the alchemy, enchanting, and runes are all just like, oh, I can't go out and just find this. Like, some of it you can. You mean, oh, well, I need whatever weed, or I need these kind of stones that you find in whatever, like, mountainside. But then past that, it's like, well, you better get a wyvern talent. You're like, ugh, now I have to go find a wyvern somewhere in addition to scrounging around. Yeah. Well, rumor tells that a wyvern might be found in the hills of Gunkelbunk. That kind of... And, and then you get the to Gunkelbunk, and they're like, oh, all the adventurers already got all the wyvern talons. I'm sorry. <laughs> you gotta wait 45 minutes for the wyverns to respawn. <laughs> and even and then, remember, everyone... not every wyvern has talons. And also, don't get mad, because there's gonna be a lot of people out there camping spawns. <laughs> uh, it's just... Hope you brought a bard. It's a system where I look at it and go, oh, okay, that's interesting at least for giving the non-magic users something they can do. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, oh, I'm you know, a sword guy and I don't want to get necromancy or light magic or whatever, but I do want to say that I know, you know herbalism because I'm yeah. some sort of barbarian or I'm a rogue and I know poisoning. Okay, great. That's cool that you can have that. But they made it so complicated and such that you never get to decide what you do. Oh, and not only that, but it's super complicated for boring results. Oh, yeah. Well, like, there's like because, 30 kinds of poison you can make, and they do a grand total of maybe four things. Oh, yeah. Because of the fact that those are the ones that don't require weird magical nonsense, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, you can find these herbs wherever, and it's a poultice that makes your butt not itch. And you're like, thanks, great. Mm-hmm. 
one of the things you can do with uh, with enchanting when you're making a potion is make a potion that makes you more attractive, but only to members of the opposite sex. Oh, man. And I know. I'm getting there. Okay, good. I, I was going to say, I, I hope we get to that. I didn't forget. We're almost there, because we're pretty much done with everything, but like combat mechanics, which, let's face it, I know people get mad at us for not doing the combat mechanics to a very great degree. They're boring in this game. It's it's a You're, D100 system, yeah. so it's a roll under your skill. Mm-hmm. You the roll only, your chance to hit. The only thing that's weird in this is your weapons have a speed factor, mm-hmm. and depending on the speed factor is how many times you can attack. Yes. So if I have a speed factor one, I get to swing once. But if I have speed factor three, I can swing twice. I found it kind of impressive that there's a lot of skills in this game that are only for people who are martial types. Like, they do things like, oh, you can, after rolling initiatives, you can roll quickness to add to your initiative to go faster. Yeah. Or the break sever one, where you're like, after you hit a guy, you can roll break sever to see if you break their hand. Uh, So they, they factored trying to make Martial characters more interesting by making skill roles exist in there, but it bogs the game down a lot. Well, yeah, it just means now every time you attack, instead of like, I roll to see if I hit, you have to roll to see if you hit, and then roll to see if you do your skill, and roll to see if you do your other skill, then they roll to see their skill, and then their other skill, and then after that, you're like, oh, well, they used a dodge point, so now I only get a 10% of this, and I gotta figure out what 10% of my 5d6 roll is. And then I do 2d4 of your 100 hit points. Whee! Yay, there we go. Uh, And then with a bunch of rules for mounted combat, and, and tight quarters combat, and what have you. Uh, finally, we get to a little section about DM notes. This is where the part I, me- uh, I mentioned earlier about heaven and hell is, yep. and also John's golden rule page from this book. Yep. Um, it switches into first person and gets pretty, uh, pretty chummy for a little <laughs> while. Um, cause real like, fucking chummy. Listen, you and me, this is just between us GMs. Look, I'm going to turn the lights down. Players low. are dumb fucking morons. You and me, we're going to sit down and I'm going to put on a nice little light jazz. How about some Kenny G? You this and me. Is, and- Let's have a Chardonnay. And this is one of those games where it gets really in-depth about how to do, like, the mechanics of running a campaign, where it's like, what if one of your players is absent? How should you manage that situation? Take the player aside and mention to them that punctuality, of course, is very important. God, that entire section was infuriating when they were like, oh, but what if someone can't make it? Well, if they can't make it once, have a stern talk with them. If it's going to be more than that that you should probably stab them in the dick! And you're like, oh, God oh, damn it. God. All right. Okay, but and then after that, we get to the monster manual. And, I, and uh, the monster manual is divided up, like I said, into different types of monsters. Uh, a lot of them are just weird names that have no associated pictures. You'll never figure out what they are. Like, there was some kind of underground monster called a boomer. Boomer. To use uh, that exploded if you killed it. So it was just a dude, it was just a dick monster. It was like well, it's, it, you get it, boomer, yeah, yeah, boom. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, no, but it, no, it's no, a I get it. it's because it's boomer, and it, when you hit it, it it's it, a beamer, and beamers blow up when you hit. Them. And also, you always get attacked by a lot of them, so it's like boomer, boomer, boomer. You know, because the movie, the Ferris Ferris Boomer's Day Off, John. <laughs> yeah, Ferris Boomer's Day I'm Off. Talking about Ferris Hold Boomer's on. Day Off. <laughs> Isn't that the movie from Left for Dead? Ferris Boomer's Day Off. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the really the one I really wanted to talk about though was in, in the section of demons because demons are just they get their own little block uh, and they and they rise up from minions to something called like zarcisolize or something. Yeah, demons rise up. We live in a society. <laughs> they actually do. Like what well, the demon queen in the book used to be a succubus, but she graduated. Like, <laughs> she that's, graduated that's, and got her degree. Yeah, she also learned CVVCR repair <laughs> and seduction. Uh, there's a section about how demons don't like being summoned 
by uh, demonologists, demonists in this book, especially much. And uh, while they can't actually refuse a magical summons, not even a random magical summons, uh, they can remember who summoned them and what their command was. Uh, as such, they have formed a demon union, which uh, the acronym for it is UNDU, U-N-D-U, uh, which I don't remember what that stands for, but it doesn't matter. Undo has basically the practice, because they can't refuse the summons, and during summons they're bound to obey the demon, uh, of if you're a free demon and you encounter anyone who's been put on a blacklist by Undo, you go after them first. Mm-hmm. You, try to, you try to kill them. And if, and if you're, even if you're a member of Undo and you have nothing to do with this particular demonist, you know who they are on site and you try to kill them. It's weird that you would know... Every demon summoner on site, even if you've never encountered them. Yeah. So the li- the rules are, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look them up so I can remember them. I only remember the first one off the top of my head. The third one because the third one is far and away the most. Well, important. one is uh, don't 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 make your demon do something that you wouldn't even make a dog do. It specifically only applies to the uh, the minion class of demon, which is the, the the shittiest demon. But they're like, don't have your demon go. Dig through dog shit or commit ritual sacrifice or uh, non-ritual r- sacrifice. non-ritual suicide specifically. They like don't summon minion demons just to have them kill themselves. Uh, so Except it says don't have them commit non-ritual suicide. Ritual suicide is fine, but not non-ritual. Don't just make them jump off a cliff. Well, I specifically appreciate that. That's the sort of thing you'd make your dog do is non-ritual suicide. <laughs> yeah, uh, but also that uh, don't make your dog dig through poop. Man, it's hard to get my dog to stop. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't have a dog, but. You know, I don't have a dog, but for the purposes of this joke. For the purposes joke, of this joke, dogs love poop. Uh, number two is using gargoyles or any other flying type of demon as, specifically, an airline service. Uh, now, I don't know if that means that you can use them for your own individual ride, like if you own a small airplane. <laughs> if you're like, I summon this gargoyle, have it fly me to this place. It, it just means you can't force a gargoyle to give you a little packet of peanuts while yeah, you're in the air. It's, it, do you mean specifically an airline service is in, like, during one of their playtest games, that's what some demonist did? He was like, oh, I just summoned gargoyles and charge airfare for tickets to fly on the gargoyles. Look, I gotta pay a bajillion gold in order to train in this thing, so... I just turned this gargoyle into a plane. Yeah, that's and but just using it to fly yourself around, that's ambiguous. It's not mentioned. Uh the the third one is the one that I found the most issues with. Uh this is okay, forcing succubi slash incubi uh to engage in bi or homosexual relationships. Yeah. I'd like to see what forcing them to engage in a bi but not homosexual relationship looks like. I you have to date these two people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but but yeah. I mean I assume what like orgies I, I guess no that, that's no our, devils three way with the incubi let's be real clear John that's barely a relationship <laughs> that's at most dalliance what they're saying is you can't get into a long term bi or homosexual relationship with anybody look you're not allowed to be a bi polyamorous incubi all right. I mean, let's be. That's the first thing that's, that's maddening about this. Yes, it's saying that all homosexuality is so bad that even demons get mad about it. But let's be, Succubi are going to be okay with it, right? So, and Incubi. They're both like, hey, is that the way you're, you're, uh, the wind blows with you, buddy? That's fine with me. I'm a tempting demon. Well, now, the only way I'm going to be able to even try to uh, say that that might be okay is if you say, all right, Succubi can only drain the life energy out of males and Incubi can only drain it out of females. Mm-hmm. And so forcing them to do anything with someone that isn't of the opposite sex is like, oh, I can't drain their life force. 
But that's, I mean, that's just the you can't get pregnant argument. You're just like, hey, if you send that succubi to sleep with another woman, next thing you know, you're going to marry it to a turtle. <laughs> Slippery slope, I tell you. Yeah, but that's not in there. I can make a, a demon marry a turtle if I want to. That's that's, that's part of union rules as long as I give them a 20-minute break. Yeah, and also one of the monsters in this is a multi-legged giant turtle, so that's 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 one of the options that you have for forcing yeah, them to Yeah, I'm going to make these two get together, and they will be happy. As long as they're of two different genders, it's going to be just fine, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is using any demon except maybe a minion as a mobile shield. And number five is summoning a demon for the sole purpose of killing it and using it as a spell component, which <laughs> that one's genius. Oh, because who the fuck is he going to tell? He's dead now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he can possibly blacklist you. That would only work if you summon more than one demon at a time and the other one reported you. You summon two demons, kill one, and you go, tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Put me on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I want more demons to come after me so I can kill them for more components without having to cast a spell. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that was the demon union. Then there's a bunch of other monsters. As I mentioned before, about half of them are just <sighs> jokes. Just jokety little things. You've got your standard, like, oh, here are your analogs for, like, orcs or and yeah. ogres and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Orcs are very common in this book and in the examples. There's orcs everywhere. Uh, goblins less so. Uh, elves and dwarves don't even show up in the monster manual. They're only listed in the magic item section, which is the last thing I wanted to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to skip the rest of the monster manual. It's boring jokes. Monster, The magic section, there's one little two-page section of uh, static magic items, like rings of protection. Uh, and by the way, the armor system in this game is bananas. Well, yeah, because you can have your armor, but then certain armors are better at certain things depending well, there, on who crafted them. There are five types of evasion, which are not armor, and they're provided by five different things. Like, one of them is just your natural dodge ability. One of them is only for magic rings. One of them is only for magic amulets. One of them is for special evade-style training, and the last one's for, like, what have you, like if you have magic, like, wings or something. And then armor isn't any of those. It's just a damage mitigation system. Yeah, and some of them will be like... Oh, this actually helps with the damage mitigation by, like, dividing it in half, but that's only if you get armor crafted by a Cyclops, but if you get armor crafted by a Dwarf, then it is less encumbering, and you're like, okay, sure. Yeah, uh, and then the next section is the real magic item section, which is just four or five pages of all italics journal entries from an in-game wizard uh, describing... Magic items from the from uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but without the name, so that they can't get in trouble. <laughs> so it's just him being like, "I heard once of a far off tale of a man from Far Eyrie who who wore a belt that gave him the strength of a giant." Yes. Just for pages and pages. Oh, an elf had crafted an elf pouch that was larger on the outside than the inside. A portable. That's weird. Yeah. It's larger on the outside than the inside? You're like, this pouch it's is the size of me, but you open it up and you only put a marble in it's there. It's very heavily padded. <laughs> it's like a wonder bra. An elf invented the wonder bra. <laughs> but yeah, it just goes on and on like that. It's just like, ah, in Far Milbray, or Nilbray, it is said in that... In Far Milbray? In Far Milbray, no one ever goes out there, but it's the last stop on the southern part. <laughs> it is said, this is the only affordable housing. <laughs> Uh, um, in, in Far Nilbray, a man once slew a king with a battle axe that sprouted extra heads. But of course, it is long destroyed now. Of course. But it just goes, it's like three pages of that. Uh, 
It's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you read them out the old DMG treasure guide from first edition. Yeah, good for you. And then because you weren't able to put those into stats for a book, you just had a wizard tell us far off tales. <laughs> good. Yeah, that was worth the page space. I'm glad that happened. And then they, they get the cards, and that's the end of the book. All right, everybody, okay? Okay. Oh. Who awakened the wrath of the wizard? <laughs> Five dollars. <laughs> so, uh, John, what would you say is your favorite thing about this book that we've been talking about forever? Uh, I think the best thing in uh, of gods and men is probably the little weird powers. It's sort the of cards. Yeah, yeah, it kind of reminded me of uh, Gamma World and mm-hmm. that they're like, well, here's some goofy nonsense you get. You can use them. You'll probably lose them as soon as you do. But. You know, you'll get some back at various points. Mm-hmm. I like having just a little random bonus yeah. because it's just like, oh, okay, cool. I can use a dumb thing. Yay. I appreciate that none of them are bad. Like, I was worried that one of them was going to be like the curse of lose all your cards or something. Oh, actually bad and not just like I can create a pink dot on the wall. Oh, some of them are useless. Yeah. But, but none of them are actively detrimental. There's no curse one. But I'm actually just going to agree with you here. Otherwise, this book was pretty boring and forgettable. The cards were kind of a neat idea. Yeah. Uh, so we're both going to say the same thing. The cards are cute and fun. And I'm impressed that this book that we have still has them in there. Yeah, this I know. This book's in, in spectacular shape. It's tippy-top shape. Yeah. So, uh, John, what would you say is your least favorite thing about uh, of gods and men? <sighs> God. It's pretty much everything else. And men. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Probably, if I'm going to pick one thing to be the worst, mm-hmm. I I feel like it's got to be the uh, the skill training system. Oh yeah, because it Cause sucks. And you have boring. to spend all this money and do downtime, and depending on the skill, you're looking at doing like servitude, or you got to give them a magic item, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, and it feels unnecessarily punishing now most of it you don't need to because if you're like oh i don't need to find someone to teach me swimming i come with a base swimming percentage and all i need to do is just go out and swim if i want to learn it yes but for something like say magic Mm -hmm. that you want to do you still need to learn and do the stuff with that same thing with like weapon stuff and it's it's just annoying just don't do that yeah (laughs) I I want to kind of just say the idiosyncrasies and mistakes that are present in this book. There's a point where it's like thieves are expected to give 10% of their winnings. Why? It doesn't say to who or why. It just says that. It's just like, oh, yeah, just subtract 10% from whatever you stole. It's a tip. It's it's the tip, I guess. I don't know. But there's a lot of stuff like that in this book. There's just these little idiosyncrasies. Uh, but I think what I'm actually going to go with is um, the split between comedy and seriousness. I mean, the t- I don't want to say tone. I say tone too often. I know you do. I, and and and, the, and really isn't. Oh dang! I just had it in my head. Now it's been blown out. Oh, of there. I, I said I the, said all split. that's left in there is the tone. The tone. The tone, Loke. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say my least favorite thing in this book is the uh, guild systems that are in there. 
And it, it just kind of ties into the same thing with like the, the weird little asides. And this is how the world worksiness of the book where everything feels just more like rules than like stories of a creative or a created society. Mm-hmm. There's just like, oh, it, if you're an adventurer, you're definitely a member of the Adventurers Guild. And if you're a warrior, you're also a member of the Warriors Guild. If you know any hedge magic, you've probably joined the local hedge magic guild. And you're giving all of them constant money for everything. And you have to go on a bunch of missions that they send you on. Uh, and also the monsters have a guild, and then it's just guilds all the way down. Everything's constant guilds, and all of it's understood. Like, if you go into a town and you're in the Thieves' Guild, you join the Thieves' Guild. I'm like, can you, do you have to? Do you have to do this constantly? Or Yeah. Uh, don't go into town and start asking for money, because you'll piss off the Beggar's Guild. Yeah, Beggar's Guild's in there, too. Yep. There's also both Wizard and Hedge Wizard Guilds, for if you wanted to spend your time going up in the woods and get, making potions of being handsome. <laughs> Which, obviously, I do. Of course. That's all I ever want to do. I call it Axe Body Spray. <laughs> uh, would you play this game? I don't think I would. I think I would not like to play this game. Can you listen, Can you think of two things that are better that you could do with your time? Uh, I could shave a cat. Mm-hmm. Or I could milk a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> lemon milk is that <laughs> is that what lemoncello is yeah it's delicious lemon milk that sounds amazing because i love lemoncello yeah well you got to find a pregnant lemon first that's true you do it well or at least a lemon that's recently delivered <laughs> so uh all right great would uh, you play this oh for fuck's sake no i mean <laughs> i mean i have to ask i know i'm I, contractually I know. It's, obligated it's, it's the rules but lord god this is boring it's very bad and there's nothing here that would make you want to play this over anything else? It's a heartbreaker. It's a standard heartbreaker. They took a sh- they took a swing at Dungeons and Dragons. They were like, "We can do better. Let's get rid of all this elf nonsense, except mention them constantly." And Ugh. classes can go. We'll replace those with nothing. <laughs> well, we'll replace that with wherever you're from, mm-hmm. which people have done, but they've done it far more interestingly than this. Yeah, and we'll replace the monsters with the same monsters, but also some jokes. <laughs> Uh, heartbreakers. Yeah, it's so. good. It's good that we got back to our roots on this one. Yeah, we haven't done a, a traditional straight up heartbreaker in a long time. Yeah, we've been doing some uh, either popular ones that people hate, or we've been doing some sort of bigger name ones, mm-hmm. some weird things. It's nice to get back to the root of a game of a dude looked at D and D and said, "This will not stand. I can do better." <sighs> Man, I mean. Okay, so anyway, there you have it. That's uh, that's of Gods and Men, a 1991 Heartbreaker game that you can find at, I don't know, stores or something, maybe, if you're lucky. Probably not. Probably not. This is one of the few ones that when I told one of uh, our friends at the local game store, he's like, oh, wow, I've never heard of that, and oh, yeah. I've heard of basically everything you've yeah, done. Normally, that guy knows every single game well in advance. He's like, yeah, I played that every single time. Yeah. He's one of those. Whereas when I told him, oh, we're doing of Gods and Men, he was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. And he's done some obscure ones, so... Yeah. This, this is an impressively rare game. Uh, so anyhow, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you were hearing and you want to hear us make characters in this dismal-ass game, then all you need to do is join us at our Patreon, patreon.com slash systemmastery, at the low, low cost of a dollar an episode. I mean, it's Won't like, you join it's us? Like two bucks a month, folks. Won't you please give what you can to these dumb idiots? Give what you can, plus 10%. <laughs> Well, if you're a thief, you're going to give 10%. Yeah, you have to give 10% if you're a thief. And I'm assuming the thieves among you who are going to join our Patreon are going to give us a $1.10. Yeah. Uh, okay, so anyhow, uh, 
please support us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Mastery. You'll unlock this bonus content, more episodes. There's so many things to unlock. At two bucks an episode, you get a whole bunch of Star Wars content. At five bucks a month, you get our bonus super... I don't even care, John. Well, you get our afterthought. Everyone's heard all this already. You get... Take over. You get Discord privileges. You get sweet nunchuck skills. You get... You get a skateboard. You get a power-up. You get the love and approval of parental figures. John works at Nintendo, and he'll let you play Super Mario World 4 months before it comes out. Way before it comes out. And you can tell everyone about one level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can. And they'll have to believe you, because John works at Nintendo. It's true. Otherwise, find us at System Master wherever fine podcasts are discussed. We're on Gmail, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, etc. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in just a few minutes when I recover my energy level. Thanks to booze. <laughs> and we discuss this game again to make some characters. Heck yeah. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>